Kisu. Um, if you can keep your Bibles open to Second Corinthians, um, we'll flip back and forth a little bit um, this sermon, so have it open. And uh, if you don't know, there are obviously the sermon notes, uh, place where you can take the sermon notes, uh, but also links questions are at the back of this little sheet. Um, so if you don't have one with you, um, they should be in the back. But let's, oh, well... Uh, we're continuing this series on Second Corinthians, um, and two weeks ago, Paul told us that we should be bold in our ministry, and last week he encouraged us not to lose heart, uh, not to be discouraged as we go on and do ministry, and he gives us, and this week he tells us of this extraordinary power that we have in this ministry, that God gives us this power to endure trials and suffering, uh, and he talks about how we become Christ-like. Uh, for the sake of the, uh, as we take on Christ-like suffering, um, uh, because we have been people who have been changed from people who are selfish to become selfless. And then he explains why. Because of Christ who has become, who has given everything uh, for us and because of the hope of the resurrection that we have in him. So here's the outline. Um, So the power to endure and this Christ-like dying and suffering and the hope of the resurrection. Let's pray. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, we give you thanks that you are a speaking God and that your words have created the heavens and the earth. And we thank you that your word um, is still uh, at work in this world and in us. And we pray that you will speak powerfully um, to us this morning. Remind us of who you are, remind us of what you have done, and remind us as the body of Christ, as people who live for you and for your glory's sake. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever thought about giving up the, whatever ministry that you're involved in? A Sunday school, youth group, prayer ministry, dance ministry, refreshments or PA, uh, singing music ministry, witnessing to your friends and colleagues at work, family. Sadly, even in my two years here, it's only been about two years, a little bit over two years, um, I've thought about leaving it. I'm not about to leave it. This is not a declaration. I'll I'll be here for a while. Um, It's not because um, I don't like being a minister. There are times when things just seem beyond me, beyond what I could handle, beyond my wisdom and ability, beyond the stress level that I'm comfortable with and that I could manage. And it's not just ministry. Actually, I think it's the demands of being a Christian. If you really thought about it, I mean, you and I, I do this full time, but we're all ministers. God has called each one of us and through baptism has ordained us as ministers to go out. And the demands of ministry as people of God is actually quite high. The demands are high. Just think about all the things that God asks you to do. We long time ago, we went through the five marks of mission. Care for the creation. To go out and do the ministry of compassion. To go out and do the ministry of justice. To go out and do the evangelism and discipleship work. That's a lot of work. And if you are to do all of that in your workplace, in your family, wherever you are, that's a lot of demand. But not just, it's not the demand just of the mission, but think about the call of Jesus, call to discipleship. Jesus asks us to give up every part of our lives, to give up our lives in order to gain it. 
that he says that we first must lose our lives in order to gain it. I have on many occasions, just thinking about these things, just turn to people around me and go, wouldn't it be just slightly better if Jesus made it slightly easier for us that we can keep a little bit of our lives here? But God, Jesus says, you have to give up everything that you have in order to follow him. And the thing is, I'm ashamed to say all of this because my life, I've, I've just had it so good. <laughs> really, I grew up comfortably. I've never really faced um, real problems. Uh, my life is filled with what the Internet says is first world problems. What should I eat tonight? Because I have too many choices, too many things to eat rather than what can I eat tonight? I'm appreciated by this church. Thank you so much for your encouragements. I'm well compensated. Thank you for that, too. There's very little, little trouble in this church. We seem to be growing despite my faults. Even then, however, sometimes I think, oh, this is just slightly more than I could handle. But Paul, in contrast, seemed to have it so bad. His church in Corinth was falling apart. People were leaving He had no sense of affirmation. People were trying to drive him out. The false apostles were preaching against him. He was poorly compensated. In fact, he wasn't compensated at all. He had to work an extra job in order so that he could minister to the people in Corinth. And yet, he kept going. He kept going and on and on. He kept going until he died for Christ's sake. And if you're thinking, what made Paul so special? I think, what made Paul so special? Is it because he had some special talent? Is it because there's something special about him? Well, his answer is resounding no. He would not say it was something about him that kept him going. Look at what he says. Look at what he admits to in verse 7. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That, That we, is he and his friends, Timothy and others who were working with him, He says, they are jars of clay. Clay jars were the most common, breakable, weak, and replaceable things of that day. They're really plastic bags of that day. If you go to Israel right now, you can still find the broken shards of of, of clay all around because they were so common and they were so easily breakable, replaceable. He's saying that he's not special. He himself is not special. But then... He does go on to say, he has this treasure. He has this treasure in this jar of clay. He says, we have this treasure in the jars of clay so that, so to show that all surpassing power is from God and not from us. He admits that he is weak and breakable, common, replaceable, but he can continue on in his ministry because he holds something this treasure, this all-surpassing power in him. That's what he keeps uh, him going. But lest you think that this is some magical power, let's, let's see what he goes on to say about this power. He certainly doesn't think that this is power to avoid suffering, does he? Because verse 8 is all about suffering. <laughs> How he suffered, he says in verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed, or in another different translation, being in difficulties all the time, but not in despair. Persecuted, 
but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. He says he was hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. Once again, when people tell you that somehow when you become a Christian, you can avoid all suffering, that is just not true. Paul has gone through all of these. The power there that he's talking about is not power to avoid suffering. And actually, this power isn't about claiming victories either. There's this idea that if we claim victory in our circumstances, that we will become triumphant, that we will somehow, the situation will change, somehow the things will change so, so that we will be victorious in our circumstances, in our life. Somehow that the storms of life will cease and the bad situations will change. We will emerge victorious. And sometimes by grace of God, God does all of this. But that's not the power that Paul's talking about in this text either. He doesn't seem to be victorious in the description. He just says he wasn't crushed. He wasn't in despair. He wasn't abandoned. That he was not destroyed. That doesn't sound like victory. He's talking about power to endure. In fact, we get an insight of what Paul's talking about if we turn to chapter 1 and verse 8. In chapter 1, verse 8, take a look at what he writes there. He says there, we were under a lot of pressure, great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Did you hear that? Once again, there's no victory there. He's not claiming victory. He says that he couldn't endure, that he even despaired of his own life. But if you're asking, is Paul contradicting himself here? Because he just said in our text that he was perplexed but not in despair. I don't think that's um, what he's doing. I, don't, I think that's giving far too little credit to Paul. I think he's being realistic. He's telling you what happened, how he felt in those uh, situations. Because when you are going through suffering of all kinds, you do not, you do feel like you're crushed. You do feel like you're destroyed and abandoned. And you do feel like you are in despair. You do, because suffering is tough. Things that happen to us for Christ's sake, things that happen to us are tough. And so he says he felt that he, he, was, he, he was in despair. He despaired even of life. But then he's looking back. And we do this as well. As we look back, we, we see things were different. We see that actually we were sustained. But even th- despite the fact that we feel we felt abandoned by God and we cry out to God, God, where are you? He's saying that we were not abandoned. He's saying that you weren't destroyed. He was not in despair because that extraordinary power of God that sustained him and that kept him and that helped him uh, uh, through. It's the power to endure. He should have been broken, but he wasn't. And while that may seem small, that is extraordinary. That is extraordinary. The power to keep going in all circumstance, that is the extraordinary power. I was having lunch one, one day with uh, one of our mission partners, uh, Anil Stevens, um, who works with Christian Solidarity Worldwide, um, th- who works with, uh, that works with persecuted Christians. And he had returned from a trip to Sri Lanka, recent trip to Sri Lanka, and he was telling me about the end of civil war there and all the things that Christians went through um, there. And he told me about this pastor who lost everything in this war. 
He was driven out of this church, his home. He lost his family. He had to run away from everything, and Anil asked him, how do you keep going? His answer was, well, I have Jesus. I have Jesus. That was his answer. When everything was taken away, when he should have been broken, he wasn't because Jesus, because of Jesus. And this isn't the first time that I've heard of such things. I've heard in a sermon uh, of a Kenyan pastor who went through similar things, the situation, similar situations. And he confessed later on, I didn't know that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. He's saying... Jesus was enough. Despite the fact that he should have been broken, Christ keeps him going. Christ kept him going. I didn't know that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. And at times, burdens of ministry and burdens of being a Christian is, will be a lot, and it will seem too much to bear. And simply continuing to be Christian might even seem beyond our reach. But that's okay. Because this is the promise that in those times, through your weaknesses, through our weaknesses, through you and I, because we are weak, because we will cling to Jesus Christ, that we will find this power in us that is unbreakable, Power that is out of this world. Power that keeps us going. Power that keeps us enduring in all circumstances. We are jars of clay. We are plastic bags. But we hold this treasure that is out of this world. So when we see Paul, we see him nicked and scarred with cracks and lines everywhere. That's the kind of jar of clay that he was. And when we see this, though, we sometimes automatically, I think, in this culture, we think there's something wrong with this picture. One of the most frequently asked questions in Christianity Explored is, why does a good God allow suffering? But actually, this isn't just questions that are asked by non-Christians or young Christians. Um, This is a question that many Christians ask ourselves as well, even now. And I don't want to make slight of suffering um, the people endure. People in this church even have gone through many things that I uh, um, that that makes made people question God. And in fact, the Bible gives us words and permission to question God. Um, Psalm eighty-eight, Book of Lamentations, Book of Job, even there are protests and saying, "Why is this, why is this happening?" People question God, and God allows us to do that because God created us to be to live in relationship uh, with Him. But having said that, I think the part of the reason why we're constantly surprised by pain and suffering in our lives is because we made pain-free life as the ideal of life. We think that the ideal life is one that has no pain, one of health and wealth. We believe in indulging in our senses right now. Living for now, we find it difficult to believe that suffering and pain might have a purpose. That God could be achieving something greater in us through them. We cannot buy into this because we believe in God who suffered for us. We are Christians who think differently about suffering. 
And wise people know this. Not even Christians. Wise people know this. Um, this is a, there is a Greek poet who says it's God's law that who learns, uh, he who learns must suffer. People grow in wisdom. People grow in all kinds of ways through suffering. And besides, we are a people, as Christians, we are people who do not believe that suffering is the worst thing. Christians are not even people who believe that death is the worst thing. There are countless martyrs who go, who willingly go to their deaths because they think their lives are not as valuable as the treasure that they hold, the confession that they hold. They go willingly to their deaths. People are, uh, Christians are people who go out, even it means suffering for us, for something that is greater than ourselves, that is greater than our pain, than our suffering. I think this is what he says. Uh, what, what Paul means in verse 10, when he says he always carries around the, the death of Christ in his body. The death that he's carrying around is Christ-like selflessness, self-giving, that suffering, that the cost that he bears for the sake of Christ, so that the life and the glory of Christ may be revealed in him and in others. Christians are people who believe that the glory and the life of Christ in us and other, in others are more valuable than our own rights, than our own comforts, than even our lives. Remember a long time ago when we did the, the sermon series in 1 Corinthians, remember how Paul gave up his rights as an apostle? Because he was concerned for others. Remember how he doesn't live selfishly, but he lives for the sake of the Corinthians and for Christ. So that others could have that life. Others could grow. He says he has the right to do certain things, but he doesn't exercise his rights because uh, that, that might be a stumbling for, block for the gospel. Because that might be a stumbling block for people's growth in Christ. Isn't that what he means in verse 12? So then death is at work in us. That selfless giving, that selflessness, the giving of oneself, living for others and for Christ, that death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. He's doing this so that others might have life. And I think this is really, truly a picture of a man converted, a person who is really converted, (laughs) His conversion entails, the conversion entails not just renouncing of sinful desires. It's this creation of new desires. The creation of new desire to please God, to live for God, for live for Christ's sake, and live for others for Christ's sake. That's the, that's the desire, new desire that is, that, that is created in us. The unconverted knows nothing outside of the self. So they live for themselves. They do things that benefit them. They use people to, to, uh, for, for themselves. They are at the center of lives. They insist on their rights, and they do what they want to do when they want to do them. Of course, they want a life of health and wealth and life of comfort, no pain and suffering. Pain and suffering becomes a huge problem for them because when you live for yourself, it is a big problem when you are uh, going through it. But not so the converted. They have a new desire, not to fulfill our own needs. There is this 
desire created in us to please God, please Christ, to live for others, to see Christ's life shine in our life and in others. Their orientation has changed from the self to Christ. They put Christ first. They put others first. They give themselves over to others so that they may have life. Remember last week in chapter 4, verse 5, this is what he wrote. And this is slightly puzzling if you think about it. He, says, he said there, We do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as our Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Isn't that strange? He doesn't say, and ourselves as Christ's servant. He says, I preach Christ as, as, as Lord and ourselves as your servant. You see, as Christ became our servant. As we preach Christ, we become the servants of others. We, we, we become the kind of people who live for others, who live for Christ. Living in and for Christ and for others will involve a lot of dying for us. Once again, it might simply mean that we refrain from doing things that we like doing. Or think that we have the right to do because it might be a hindrance of the gospel for others. Positively, it might mean taking on Christ-like sacrifices. For the music team, I know I, mean, I asked uh, somebody uh, what time they have to wake up at, uh, to come to uh, practice for music today. It's 6.45. How many of us would be willing to give up a Sunday morning sleep, good sleep in, for Christ's sake? A couple of weeks ago when we had the church camp, I know there are two people who spent about six hours moving all of this, all of this to, uh, break, uh, to Breakthrough Center so that we could worship, that we could have that worship. There are countless people here in this church who are serving in all sorts of ways so that Christ, so, so they're putting this church first above their own needs. Uh, they're putting others first above their own needs. For some of us, it might mean just listening, listening to people's problems when you really don't want to. It might mean doing something for others when you really don't want to. For some, it might mean giving up vacation days to go on uh, mission trips. For many, it will, be, it will mean much more than that. It might mean going into persecuted countries. It might literally mean giving up their lives. For Paul, it was certainly that. So the question that I want to ask you and to leave you with um, as we finish this second point here is, what would it mean for you? What does it mean for you to carry the death of Jesus Christ in your body so that life of Christ will be revealed in others? What does it mean for you? But we do this for a reason. Um, the six children I've been meeting uh, every Sunday um, to go over a baptismal class um, to get to, uh, to study the meaning of baptism. And when we're discussing baptism, Paul writes in, uh, we studied this last week, uh, Paul writes in Romans 6, for if we have been united with him in his death, that we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection like his. That's why we die don't we? Because if we're united with him in his death, we will rise again with him in his resurrection. If we look at ourselves and just ourselves and our own needs and whatever that we want, 
we can only come across the fact that we are jars of clay, that we don't have the resources to keep on going, to keep on giving ourselves, to be self-sacrificial. And following Jesus, living like Christ. I was thinking, I just, this morning, I was uh, thinking about all, all of this, and I, you know, the, the, my first point, I just became so ashamed of, of the, the, what I was saying because I thought to myself, I worship God who became God who is radically for us. I worship God who became a human being and who lived a life for us, who died for us, who died on the cross, cross for us. And this God promises that, that we will rise again with him, that this glory will be promised for us. And I thought of myself, I thought, to my, I thought about sort of my all the little things that I struggle with. And I thought to myself, how could this be? I felt so ashamed of what Christ has done for us and the sacrifice that we need to make for, 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 for God and how small they seem in front of what Christ has done for us. So focus on the cross. See the cross. You do not have the resources to keep going. So look at the cross. Look at Jesus and what he has done. And Paul says he believes in Christ. That's why he speaks. He continues in his ministry that has taken such a toll in his life. Because in verse 14, we know that the one who was raised, who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with, with you to himself. He keeps going because of Christ and because of what Christ's resurrection promises to each one of us. You see, Paul now sees the world differently. He does not think that the suffering now is the end. He sees that the things of this world, the suffering that he takes on, is passing. It's going away. That something much more glorious, something much more weighty, and something much more eternal is being revealed in him and through him in others. He sees the future when all will be raised again. He sees the future when this church will stand together and be presented to God. He sees each one of us shining with the glory of God. He sees that. And so he keeps going. That's why in, in, in Romans 8, he says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. But that's uh, really for the subject of the next week's sermon. So I'll end, <laughs> I'll end with a quote from John Piper in a book called Future Grace. He writes there, this means that the decaying of his body was not meaningless. The pain and the pressure and pr frustration and affliction were not happening in vain. They were not vanishing into a black hole of pointless suffering. Instead, this affliction was producing for him an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. The unseen things that Paul looked at to renew his inner man was the immense weight of glory that was being prepared for him not just after, but through and by the wasting of his body. When he is hurting, 
he fixes his eyes not only on how heavy the hurt is, but on how heavy the glory will be because of the hurt. And those who are united with him in his death will be united with him in his resurrection. Amen.